Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this podcast, I'll be talking about high-performance teamwork with the very inspirational Casper Craven, a leading international authority in achieving big, bold goals using a very human approach to building teams. Casper is an entrepreneur who has built and sold businesses starting from the age of 14. He has worked in the corporate world as a chartered accountant, investment banker, and CFO. He has sailed twice around the world. The first time was as the youngest crew member in the world's toughest yacht race, the BT Global Challenge. The second time, he circumnavigated the world with his wife and three young children, all under the age of 10. While that was a two-year expedition, it was a voyage that actually took seven years from idea to completion. While sailing the Pacific Ocean, he sold one of his businesses for a seven-figure sum. Casper is a motivational and keynote speaker who uses his unique mix of experiences to inspire his audiences. His mission is to unlock the potential in leaders and teams so that they can set, tackle and achieve big goals. And he often draws parallels between building teams at work and at home, a man after my own heart. Casper's book, Be More Human, Rethinking the Rules of High-Performance Teamwork was published in 2020 and is well worth a read, as well as Where the Magic Happens, the global bestseller about his family's sailing adventure around the world. Casper, it's an absolute honor to have you on the Win at Work and Life podcast. Yeah, thank you, Nikki. It's lovely to be here with you. So uh, thank you for those kind words. Goodness me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so good to, to have you with us. I mean, you and I met a couple of years ago when you were speaking here in South Africa and we've kept in touch and you very kindly allowed me to share one of your concepts in my new book, uh, Future Proof Yourself. And I guess, you know, there's so much to talk about when it comes to teams and I thought maybe we should kick off with when have you as a leader of teams learnt the most? Because in your book, you actually mention the fact that you don't believe you were born an instinctive leader, that you've actually learnt most of what you know. Yeah, no. great question. So um, when have I learned the most about teams? It's funny, the, the, as, as you were saying, saying, saying the words, the, the, the words that were coming to my head is whenever I run things through the filter of the real world. And what I mean by that is we, um, it's very easy to listen to other people and take on concepts about how we should build teams at work. And you know, we hear all the language around vision, values, mission, all those sorts of things. And we end up with these sort of uh, corporatized uh, things around it. And I think the time when I've learned the most is when I've tried to put that things in real world language. Most notably, when I've tried to take this stuff home and talk to my uh, my wife, my kids about it, and say, "Let's go do this. Let's do vision." It's like, and it's suddenly you suddenly realise that language just doesn't work, and it doesn't particularly work in the corporate world either, because we're humans, aren't we? So, um, yeah, the learning points for me have always been, um, yeah, when I've tried to run things through the filter of the real world, and I guess also when I've tried to accelerate things and you push things hard and uh, things don't work 
in the way that you think they're going to, you, you create a story in your mind about how things are going to be and you push it hard and suddenly you find, well, that hypothesis you had is wrong and the world gives you a slap around the face and says, okay, well, you need to go and rethink that. So um, I would say conceptually, those are the two particular uh, wake up uh, times for me. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a particular part in your book where you speak about the fact that you'd read a book or been on a conference and you were so enthused about certain management theory and you came back to the office and you kind of uh, shoved this down everybody's throats. You were so inspired and you thought this was this was the the magic pill, and it kind of was a bit of a damp squib, wasn't yeah. it? You're, you're putting it very politely there. My team, my team basically swore at me and told me where to go. The <laughs> was the long shot. So yeah, so the a uh, bit more depth on that. So I, I started uh, going to, to conferences, uh, small business conferences in in America, and you know what it's like when you go to a conference, right? And you come back and you're like you're fired up and you've got ideas and you've got energy and you kind of come and do all these different things. And the that's when I came back and I started um, bringing these let's let's call them Americanized techniques into a British business and uh, I wasn't particularly listening to my team which is quite a recipe for disaster when you don't listen to your team isn't it and there's a time for you know sticking to your guns and pushing through and there's a time you've got to go and listen to your team and um, yeah in that particular instance I was following this model and I was like so certain this was the right thing so I was hiring staff launching new products creating hundreds of videos, paper copy newsletters, all with an Americanized angle to it. And uh, my team basically just sort of had enough of that and said, uh, you're, you're, you're being a nightmare. And uh, yeah, some of them threatened to walk. And uh, that was the wake up point. It's like, okay, so what I'm doing is not working. I've done something, I've got some feedback. Now let's rethink this and uh, try and come in, this, in a different direction. So I think the, uh, the, I guess that led me to the point of humility, realizing that, uh, that none of us have all the answers. And you, know, you, you come up with an idea hypothesis, you test it, and then you see, um, see what works, and then you, you adapt it from there, don't you? So. And how important is it to leave your ego at the door and to really listen? Because in my experience, uh, in, in family life, as well as in business, whether you're in an exco team or whether it's a small team in a smaller business, listening is that thing we get really wrong. It really is. I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a balance, right? Because on the one hand, you've got to have um, self-belief and, uh, you know, point yourself in a particular direction um, and to go and do things. And I don't know whether that needs, whether the right language just to say that needs a bit of ego, but that needs something that certainly heads in that direction. But it's also tempering that with the fact that, yeah, you've got to take on board um, ideas from, from other people. I love the, um, the quote from uh, the story from Ray Dalio, who built the world's largest hedge fund, Bridgewater. And he said everything changed in his world when he went from saying, I'm right, to how do I know I'm right? And he brought that humility into it. And it's like, okay, so, you know, this is my hypothesis. This is the experiment I'm going to run. Let's challenge that from as many different ideas as we can to try and get to the, the, best, the best outcome. And actually, you know, if I go back to my business, you know, back in the day, you know, we ended up developing a mantra of it doesn't matter who is right, it only matters what is right. And that became the overriding importance of the mission 
compared to the overriding importance of ego. And, uh, you know, that was quite a big shift that, to make, certainly personally, and I think collectively as a team to be able to move towards that. Mm. And then um, in terms of creating a story, because the only way to motivate people these days is to create a story that they all buy into, as opposed to the very dry mission, vision, goals, objectives of a project or an organization. But there comes a time where you've got to make the story revolve around the team, not just you as the leader. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, no, absolutely. The, um, but like, I mean, the story that I always share around this is when I was driving this, my, my business before and uh, I printed, I, I'd read this book. It was actually by Mark Benioff, founder of Salesforce. And I'm sure he didn't mean me to interpret it in this way, but it was how I interpreted it. So he had this sheet called the V2 MOM, which stands for Vision, Values, Methods, Obstacles and Measurement. And um, I did this classic thing. So like, I'm going to work out all the answers. And I wrote it down on the sheet and I laminated them. And I went to the team and I said, here we are. Here's what the, what the, what the thing is. And everyone just like nodded politely and we got on with it. And um, I think it was about yeah, three or four months later, we're sitting around the board table, boardroom table. And, uh, you know, the vision I put up there was, you know, we're going to go and create a hundred million pound organization. And I was just had that sense that it wasn't connecting with the team. So uh, I sat around the table with everyone and uh, we're only a small team, there's about a dozen of us. And I said, can anyone tell me what our vision is? And everyone shifted uncomfortably in their seats. And one of our data analysts said, I think it's something to do with a number. And that was the point that I realized 100 million quid was really important to me, but it meant nothing to anybody else. It's like, okay, so let's go back and sort of unpack what's the story here that we're actually trying to do? Because we're all working on something together and there clearly is something that binds us all together. And let's tease out what that language is. What's that story that unites us? So we went through a whole series of discussions uh, process to uncover what was our story. And our story was that we want to be the world's best data treasure hunters. So we were in the space of data analytics. We were going and looking at working with big companies, law firms, um, tech firms, banks, and so on, looking inside their data to uncover stories to help them make better decisions. And it was only by going and uh, failing with the wrong story and then sort of finding, okay, so this is the story that does actually engage everybody. And then we went deeper and say, you know, well, who are our dream clients? And, you know, what would this mean to you? Why, are you, why each of you individually here? So, you know, it's facilitating a discussion um, amongst the, the team to sort of, uh, you know, create that engagement around why, why do we care? Why are we here at all? So That line you've just used of why are each of us individually here? I think is so often missed mm -hmm. and yes you're chasing after the you know 100 million pound goal but actually if you don't know why each member of your team is there because i mean each of them is motivated by something different each of their lives are different the make makeups of their families their home lives i mean why do they need to take money home at the end of the month that's that's actually quite an important question to answer let alone the self-actualization in the actual job and so many managers and leaders of teams don't even know the backstories of the people in their teams. Absolutely right. It's funny, I've just literally come from doing um, a talk this morning for 500 um, people and um, five different organizations which have come together. It's the first time they've come together and they're all now sort of uh, collaborating and they've got, they've got this, this start of a two-day event that they're doing. 
And you know, one of the the questions that, that I left them with is that is this thing, you know, why why are you here? And I come back to the thing, you know, each of us, we only do things for our own reasons, not somebody else's reasons. And you can't motivate anybody until you know what's already motivating them to have the discussion. And we're all motivated by different things. And that's okay. But uh, if you don't know, then you <laughs> it's, it's quite hard to get your team going in the same direction. So yeah. what you're speaking to is the fact that human beings are essentially ego egocentric. And we start off like that as children. Uh, the world revolves around us. And it's only as we mature emotionally that we discover that if we don't work together with other people, if we don't collaborate with other people, if we don't collaborate in the playground, if we don't collaborate in the classroom, if we don't collaborate in the business world, there's a limit to how successful we can actually be. And that's also one of those overriding messages that you have in your book that you actually can't go very far alone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it's a South African problem, isn't it? The, uh, if you want to go uh, fast, you go. Uh, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, to get you go together. And it's interesting, right? So, what's today? Today is the uh, the start of COP twenty six, right? And we have all of our world leaders getting together to figure out, you know, the, the single biggest challenge facing humanity right now, which is, which is climate change. And we have to bring together these diverse um, uh, cultures and so on together, try and get. To, you know, to solve a common challenge. And I think this whole nature of how we collaborate together is at the forefront more than it has ever been. And I think this also applies to the different uh, business models which we operate in. And it's interesting, I'm just completing a course, and I just completed a course at the moment with Cambridge University on disruptive innovation. And it's fascinating to go back to a strategic point of view of how many imperatives, how many things that I held true from three decades ago when I came into the working world have now been ripped up and so we used to think about you know sort of firms and profit and it was just like a very sort of uh, insular perspective and now we have to think about platforms we have to think about ecosystems all around us and that requires a collaboration a different set of skills which i think have traditionally been needed in the workplace so you know the the, the working the working world that, that um, continues to evolve and i think we need to think differently about it to how we thought about it before <laughs> you reminded me of something that I want to do in the December holidays, and that is go through this big bookshelf of mine. Because the world has changed so much, there are some books here that are now irrelevant. And we can actually throw them away because things have changed so much. And in your book, you actually talk about the fact that the old model of a team revolving around a numbers-driven culture defined by a win-lose finish line and managed with a carrot and stick approach is a relic of history. Can you expand a little on that for us? And yeah, no, absolutely. Probably my favorite topic. So that when I came into the working world, it was all about, you know, the about that, you know, profit, driving people hard to the numbers. And actually, you know, this was this played out in the first yacht race that I did, because my skipper had a saying then that a fast boat is a happy boat. And that matched, matched the business logic, right? If we're making loads of profit, then everybody will be happy and we'll go even faster. And how that played out in our boating life was that people were pushed really hard. Nobody was particularly enjoying it. And it was just that very hard numbers driven culture. We ended up, uh, we won the first leg because that can work for a short period of time, but it's not sustainable. So we ended up crashing the boat and we ended up changing skipper. And I realized actually she had the philosophy completely the wrong way around. And actually it's uh, a happy team, it's a fast team, it's the other way around. So that's all about putting people first, finding the roles that they love doing, 
finding the thing that connects people together, giving people a purpose, um, creating that purpose together as an organization. And once you get that, then you get you, you can create extraordinary results. Actually, it's the single best way to get extraordinary results. But I think that the thinking, which I certainly came into the working place with three decades ago, was all about the numbers and people were the afterthoughts around how you get there. And I still see an awful lot of this prevalent in business today. Um, and it's like actually going through and you look at this, the, the different strategies. There are so many strategies that are still playing out like the, uh, you know, not appreciating the ecosystems, which need to be rethought. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fast moving world, so. Yeah, it definitely is. So when, when we're talking about exactly this topic, you've got a line that says people first and results will follow. Yes. And that clearly is an approach that you take. And I think that COVID has actually brought people to the forefront of organizations. Suddenly, we're seeing organizations, I think the HR rule book, starting to be rewritten, not just around profit for the organization, but around the, the welfare of the employees, and not just the employees, but their families too. For the first time ever, we are actually seeing family making it onto the boardroom table as a topic for discussion. I, for one, think that is a brilliant thing. I can only think that that because we have a, a similar alignment here that you also appreciate the fact that organizations now truly buy into the fact that we belong to two teams, the home team and the work team. Absolutely right. We, we are exactly on the same page here. And I think it's a fantastic thing because, you know, I was thinking, I remember sort of the, um, um, there's some statistics came out in early 2020 and it was, they, they surveyed 500 um, high performers uh, work and over two thirds of them were having serious problems in their personal lives. And it's the unspoken thing, isn't it? Is those like, you know, here's my, here's my home life and I'll close the front door and I'll go off and then suddenly I'll bingo, I'll be this different person at work. But you're the same person, right? And I think the whole thing with Zoom, it has brought us into people's homes. So therefore we can't ignore it. You know, my daughter will suddenly come in, the dog will come in, whatever it is, right? And suddenly we're seeing a little bit more of people and we have, we've been forced to appreciate that more. It's something that was long, long overdue have that understanding that we are whole people, which you know that the fundamental philosophy is like, you know, be more human, right? <laughs> That's what well, it means. I was about to say that the title of your book says it all, be more human. And for me, I use a line that says, uh, keep the human in the middle. And it's so true. And I, I, I was part of a webinar the other day and four of us were, were on a panel. We each had 20 minutes and the one guy uh, gave a very smart presentation. He was very formal. He was very serious. And I actually wanted to say, I don't think this is you. I think you're putting on an act. Mm -hmm. And then what was very interesting was we had a conversation between the four of us on the back end, a panel discussion. And in that panel discussion, his four-year-old ran into the room, jumped on his lap, and we saw a completely different man emerge. In fact, it was the only time when he was likable and nice and human, actually. Yeah. And I just thought if you only knew, if you could present in this warm way, you would actually have much better results because previously you were presenting as if you were an automaton and a robot. And now you're being real and we can see you're human. And it was just such a lovely thing to, to witness 
And it just speaks to exactly this point that we're talking about, that we need to bring our whole selves to the table, whether we're with our home team or whether we're with our work team. It's so interesting, isn't it? I could go back to some of the words come up in my mind again, running things through the filter of the real world. And it's like, how, what would a real person do in this situation? But at the same time, that I get that it's really hard. And look, I experienced this because, you know, back in my days working for, for KPMG and so on, is you put your work face on, this is how you're meant to be, this is how everyone else was. And it's quite a hard mold to break out of that, you know, this is, this is the way of doing it. And I think that it behoves our, uh, you know, our leaders to um, be more human. It's like there was some wonderful research in the Harvard Business Review um, a couple of weeks ago. And it was saying you know, the, the, the leaders who share more of themselves, more of their um, failures, um, because that's, that, 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 that can humanize us faster than anything else, um, <laughs> sharing that vulnerability. Those are the ones who are building the most connected teams, the most successful teams, um, because they're making it okay to be human and to be real again. But I think that a lot of people in the working world have to unlearn that, you know, whatever the masks on, that we put on are, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. So ironically, then it should become more naturally to be more natural. So, Absolutely. So when it comes to the common denominator in the team, so you've got a work team and a home team, and you often talk about the common denominator is you. Yeah. And if you are battling with one of your teams or both of your teams, particularly if it's both of your teams, as a leader, you really need to look at what are the common denominators. And if it's you, you've got to take a long, hard look at you, which is sometimes not a very pleasant experience, is it? Yeah, absolutely right. Introspection, right? Probably my favorite tool and my, and my most hated tool as well, because it's quite hard, isn't it? Taking a long, hard look at yourself. But, you know, the, as you know, Mickey, the, 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 these things follow us around, don't they? And, uh, you know, whatever we're showing up as in, in one place will show up in another place. And I think it's really important as well, you know, to have people around you who you give permission to to speak the truth to you and you know we don't really like the truth then we uh, do we sometimes because it because it's painful and it hurts so therefore you know when people do come and speak truth to us it's really important just to sort of acknowledge it I always write it down reflect on it rather than going ah I didn't like that they're never going to tell you the truth again if you do that right and yet it's so so vital to be able to see that again i quote ray dalio he has that lovely formula which is um pain plus reflection equals progress and it's that reflection piece isn't it it's sort of you know what's this thing that it's trying to tell me and uh, that that can then take you forward and set you off on a different path but uh, it starts with the introspection but that goes back to listening and it's not just listening to the people in your team but it's listening to the feedback about you as a leader. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It's, and that's um, that really deep listening. Now, you've done some really crazy things. I mean, traveling, going around the world twice, not once, but twice. Once, obviously, in a professional sailing team, but a second time with your entire family. And if I'm not mistaken, when I heard you speak, I'm trying to recall the, your youngest child was about two. She was when we sailed, exactly right. Yes. Two. I mean, as the parenting expert, I remember listening to you and thinking, what were you thinking? I'm not sure that you were thinking, and yet you were. You'd spent many, many years planning this whole trip. And in the planning, you had the third child in the planning stages, I think. You must have had your third child. Um, now, thinking and reflecting and listening, how important were those, those skills, those tools, when you were taking your family across the ocean? 
goodness me, yeah, hugely important. I mean, look, the you don't go and do uh, undertake a venture like that without thinking very, very deeply about it. I mean, look, there will be some people out there um, who would be cavalier and throw caution to the wind. But I, I'm, a, I'm a chartered accountant by background. My wife is a, is a barrister, a lawyer by background. Neither of us are in the habit of being cavalier about risk. So the place we started was the very, very long list, almost unending list of all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. And it would be very easy to be overwhelmed by that and say, well, that's the reasons that we should stop doing this. But it's with any audacious goal, there will be a whole stack of reasons why it won't work. But that's just the areas where you've got to work on. You've got to figure out the answers to do that. So we just worked through that um, list methodically and said, OK, how do we get ourselves to a place where we are comfortable with each and every risk so that we can mitigate that? So it took some real deep thought. And uh, yeah, I can't I, I, literally every single area, probably the biggest area we looked at was medical, actually. You know, what happens if one of us is sick? So we both trained to become ship's doctors. Um, so the most advanced medical training you can get out of becoming a doctor or a nurse in the UK. Um, and so, yeah, it was that yeah, deep thought around uh, every every single um, area. So I wouldn't rest, suggest doing anything um, um, extreme without an extreme amount of preparation for it as well. So. Yeah, and you talk a lot about needing to suspend reality to dare to dream about a different kind of future. And so often when I work with teams, there's great excitement, you know, about coming up with a new strategy and a people focus something. And then suddenly reality bites and no, we've got we've got, you know, eight weeks of serious reporting and delivery up ahead. So we'll leave the people piece for another few months until we've got time, which doesn't really work either because you've actually got to concurrently do process and people at the same time. People are not going to wait for you. You can't say, well, I don't have time to listen to you for two months. I'll get back to you in two months when, you know, when delivery is not at its peak. Well, you yes. might have lost a few people from your team by then or lost yes. the plot completely. Absolutely. I mean, you, know, you have to um, map everything out and you have to put it all out there. But I think at the same time, it's, it's being mindful that you don't get overwhelmed by all those uh, different um, activities and those different things that have to be done. And then I think that that's where the teamwork piece really comes in. And it's sort of it's that ruthless prioritization together as a team. What are the most important things? And it's the, uh, the, the one the one thing question from Gary Keller. What's the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, it makes everything else either easier or unnecessary? So it's starting at, at that place there. OK, what do we need to tackle first? And remembering you can't do everything uh, at once. So it's, it's being sequential about it as well. So um, but I know, you know, the, the, there's always, you know, 150 percent of things that you can fill your time with you know, being mindful of that, too. So. I guess your experience on the boat with your family was really such a combination of planning for what's next and being very much in the present because of the forces of nature you were dealing with. You had to be very present. I mean, the fact that you even trained as ship's doctors, you know, that's amazing. And it links to what I'm about to say now, which is you were probably in a continuous process of triage as one would be in an emergency room where you're constantly prioritizing what is the most urgent, important thing that we need to deal with next. 
And so often we get overwhelmed at home and at work with so many competing demands. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's a great observation. I think the what strikes me around that is the that that continuum of certainty to uncertainty, and where do we feel comfortable on that on that line? And I can't remember who said it now, but the um, that statement that you know the, we get the maximum amount of, of growth when we push into that then the most level of uncertainty that we can comfortably handle. And for me personally, I'm quite happy at a sort of a high level of uncertainty because on a boat. You know, there's always like a hundred things on your job list that you you need to be doing. Some of them more urgent than others. You've got three kids who need homeschooling. You've got navigation to do. You've got to make sure. And so there's just like a whole kaleidoscope of things that are happening the whole time. So you, yeah, by nature you do have to become quite good at sort of separating out what's the urgent thing that needs to be done now, the prioritization, and also you know, the urgent versus the important because you don't want to put those important things off. So yeah, it's kind of like an extreme form of uh, yeah, man managing one's priorities, one's workflow, the different things in front of you, and being comfortable with the fact there are a lot of things there. And the fact that, you know what, there's some things that are not going to get done, and just being comfortable with that. And even now I struggle with that sometimes because I want to do everything that's on my list, of course. But you know, you know that some things, they're just, you're just not going to get around to because there's not going to be time for it. So. Yeah, what did they say? Um, whatever you focus on will flourish. So wherever you put your time and attention, that's what's going to, to transpire. But that leads me to, to asking you a question about what we see is all there is. Uh, mm. Also a line that's in your book that you say comes from Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. You've got a lovely story there around how you how you did this with your family in preparing for your trip and how that translates into the work environment as well. Can you share that with us? I think it was something that you put up on your fridge or on a wall in the kitchen. Yeah, you think, you're thinking about the values? I'm thinking about the values and was the map of the world. So for years oh, yeah. before you went on your trip, you yeah. actually kept that map in Look, your kitchen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Funny, I, I, wrote, I, uh, I wrote a piece um, a couple of days ago, actually, about uh, the, the power of influence and the things that we have around us, the things that we have on our walls um, have a massive influence on us. And actually, I'm gonna go off on a slight tangent for answer question. I was down at my dad's house last week and I realized that uh, I was about to do uh, an interview about Be More Human. And behind me, there was a big framed picture of some banknotes, some old money. And so it's like, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? The money is being celebrated. I wonder where some of my influences for writing Be More Human have come from. And I'd never, ever noticed it before because it had blended into the background. And I wonder for each of us, so everyone listening to this, it's like, you know, what are the influences that have acted on you in the past? What are the influences that are acting on you today? What are the influences that you could put around you in the future? So to your point directly, you know, we created, we put a huge map of the world on the wall and we had our vision statement, our story next to that. And we wanted to positively influence ourselves. So that's the thing we're going to go and do. We made it real. We made it very vivid. We created a picture with our values and uh, we put that on the walls. And interesting, actually, in the past few years, about three years ago now, we created a family picture which says we are learners of embedding the identity of being a learner into all of us together as a family. And, uh, you know, that because, you know, going back to the, the initial statement, you said, you know, what you see is all there is. So whatever is around you is the thing you're going to end up being more of. 
So it's something that I always encourage people to take, pay real close attention to. What are the things you see around you all the time? So when you say, uh, you know, we're talking about your, your values, you got your family to draw them and paint them, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, we, we, so the kids were quite young when we did it. So I took the idea of corporate values, which were lost in that whole world of corporate language for me. And it's like, let's try this at home, see how this works. So we created our values, created this like huge big canvas. We painted them all out and then everyone got sort of colored paint and put their handprints all around it. And then we created the rituals around it. So we had values prizes every day where we're talking about the things we want to see more of and celebrating the things that we liked about what we saw other people in the team doing. Because, you know, the great thing about having the values up on the wall, well, you know, it's always, well, can you take them down off the wall? Because they should be as part of a conversation rather than just on the wall. The wall is the reminder, but it's the conversation where, where, the, where the rubber really hits the road, isn't it? And conversation is really about cultivating a culture of connection and communication. Absolutely. And so, well, it's, it's, it's understanding, it's listening, it's, uh, it's sharing, it's collaborating, it's finding the areas where you agree, it's finding the areas where you disagree. And uh, it's only through that, that conversation that you're going to be able to move forward, isn't it? So, so yeah, so everything, it's, yeah, that's what it boils down to, isn't it? A conversation. So. Yeah. And you're very, very strong on this line. How you do anything is how you do everything. Can you tell us a little bit more about that in terms of, I guess, the thread is consistency? The thread is consistency. Yeah, exactly. As human beings, we like to be consistent. And this goes back to, you know, if you've got a problem at work, you'll probably find a mirror of that problem at home as well. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we, we develop habits, we develop um, behaviours, how we do things. What is it? I, I, the statistic I saw the other day, that like over 90% of what we do is by habits because we did it yesterday and the day before. And there's very little thought goes into actually well, what's the fresh thing that I could be doing that shakes things up a little bit. So, yeah, it's just being aware of that and um, yeah, using that as a kind of like a diagnostic for understanding if you want to get different results, then uh, just sort of saying what, what are those patterns that keep repeating themselves. So again, it's part, part of the introspection toolkit, I think. So, And that leads me to a question of, should we be asking ourselves every day, how can I be better than I was yesterday? You know, I, I, I love the whole area of uh, personal growth, personal development, and that's definitely a question that I ask myself. I have my, my journal, which is, happens to be right here, and every day I write down, uh, you know, what did I enjoy today? What did I learn today? And uh, using that as a nudge to sort of, you know, keep myself moving forward. But I guess that depends on everybody's proclivity towards, um, towards growth. And, you know, we're all built differently, aren't we? So, yeah, we, we all have a different lens. But that, that's the one that I certainly favour. So yeah, that, that sort of brings us full circle back to where we started with knowing, getting to know your team, getting to know your team members and, and what has meaning for them. You know, what drives them, what motivates them. Uh, we're all going to be different. That's part of diversity. And oh, it's been so wonderful chatting to you. You've shared such extraordinary insights um, and experiences with our listeners. Have you got any closing comments? It's funny, the, I do actually. The, um, and it's prompted by something you just said there. You know, I think the, um, the, there's an old style model. There's, the, there's a bunch of stuff that I want to chuck on the scrap heap, clearly. And I think it's the old style model of like the leader who says, I've got all the answers, follow me, let's go and do this, right? And for me, the, the leaders of the future, I think, need to think more like farmers. And what do I mean by that? It's planting seeds, it's applying sunshine, it's applying water, and you know, stuff will come through, right? You're going to get amazing green shoots coming through. 
And um, so I, I, that's one of the lenses I always use is to, to think like a farmer with this. And uh, then sometimes that needs a little bit of patience because if I plant seeds today and expect an oak tree tomorrow, there's only one person that's being deluded and that's me. So uh, therefore um, a little bit of patience is, is sometimes a good thing as well. So. Casper, uh, thank you. What always strikes me about you is how you're able to bring the real world uh, into the room. And you started off by talking about using that real world filter. That's that's really the way that you learn the best as a leader. And that you brought that certainty to uncertainty continuum to us today. We're always living. Uh, and particularly now, I think we're more aware of the fact that we're living on this, this continuum of disruption between certainty and uncertainty. And that relentless action and caring for your team are both things that leaders have to do in parallel. I know it's tough, but uh, people are behind the processes that make companies great. So we can never forget the people. We certainly do need to keep them in the middle. And of course, what we focus on will flourish. And you certainly are a, a testimony to that. Where can people get hold of you, Casper? Uh, well, well, firstly, by the way, thank you for the lovely questions, Nikki, and the conversation. It's, uh, it's really, really good fun to uh, talk about things with a kindred spirit. So uh, yeah, uh, caspercraven.com. There, there's only one of me on, on Google. So uh, C-A-S-P-A-R craven.com, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, website, all those, so all the usual things. And your books, where are they available? Yeah, uh, Amazon, of course. The um, so yeah, where the magic happens, and um, also uh, be more human. So um, I'm writing the next book as well. So uh, watch this space. So. Oh, listen, I have reread "Be More Human" at least three times. So I can honestly say to everybody, you need to get hold of a copy. I don't have a real copy yet. I, I'm still reading the one you sent me, the electronic copy. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting a real copy that I can scribble all over as I do uh, when it's a favorite book and a learning book. And um, I still actually want to get hold of uh, Where the Magic Happens because it's such an extraordinarily inspirational story of, uh, wow, I mean, there's just so much learning in that story alone. And I know you do bring that uh, into your talks, into to your facilitation from the stage. So Casper, thanks again for your time. I know you're a really, really busy man. And to our listeners, please send through your comments, questions and topic suggestions to info at NikkiBush.com. You're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too.